History Podcast, the history of medicine, part three. Well, kind of part three, because the first one was parts one and two combined. Okay, Alto, can you uh, remind the listeners where we left off at the end of last um, episode? So, we were talking about Galen mm-hmm. and medieval medicine in general, mm-hmm. and about how it was generally not very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um... So, yeah, so we talk about Galen and the four humours and about his slightly strange beliefs about the kind of liquids in your body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to move on to a scientist, yeah. a medical scientist called Harvey, mm-hmm. who actually did some research about blood and how it's kind of distributed around your body. Harvey, 1578 to 1657, and he discovered the circulation of blood. Galen sort of believed that the heart pushed the blood in big flows out through the body, and then it would sort of what you would uh, wee, wee out. But Harvey did proper experiments and to see how much liquid was coming out of the heart, and he worked out that that was far more. Um, oh, yes, yeah, so he worked out that that was far more than um, there was in the actual animal itself. So that that meant that the blood must be going around the body rather than sort of being washed up in, in you know, funny sort of waves. Um, so he was the first guy to really start some sort of, well, not the first, but he was one of the first people to really um, start questioning somebody like Galen. Harvey, 1628. Discovery of circulation. A lot of the the progress sort of came when they started inventing building hospitals. So hospitals had in, existed for an awfully long time, um, but they were places where you just sort of looked after the the sick, um, and it wasn't they didn't have doctors. It was all start. They were generally convents, staffed by nurses. Um, and doctors did something else and wrote, wrote their stuff. But so when in hospitals, when they actually started having nurses and doctors working together, so mm. doctors curing and yeah. nurses caring, um, then they that started making a lot of progress in, in medicine. Mm. So do you know any famous nurses? Florence Nightingale. What do you know about Florence Nightingale? She was a nurse in the, I can't remember what the war was called. Crimean? Yes, that's what it was going to say. Mm-hmm. Do you know what she was particularly famous for, or what she did? I know she helped wounded soldiers. Yeah. That's it. That's what I know. <laughs> well, but she was one of the people who, you know, she went over and, you know, basically if you were wounded, you were sort of chucked in a corner. Um of a dirty room and allowed to fester and you know loads of people loads of soldiers throughout history have died because of wounds and injuries and infections and that kind of thing rather than the actual you know being shot on the battlefield um so she was the one who started insisting on having um cleanliness and really making Um, sure that they they were you know so that's why you have the soapy things when you go to Exactly. That was also, do you remember when we went to the Science Museum in Oxford? Yes. 
um, some of those instruments that we saw? Yeah. Um, what sort of instruments did we see? Can uh, you remember anything? Not, not much. I can't remember vaguely what they looked like, but I can't remember what they did. That sort of spray stuff? That was um, a guy called Lister. Yeah. Um, and he was the one who really got into, worked out that you had to have very clean um, surgeries um, yeah. and to make sure that the infection didn't spread and all of that. And they had those really mad sort of spray cans. Somebody else we should, should mention about uh, famous nurses is Mary Seacole, um, who in the Crimean War at the same time um, set up her, her own hospital and did a lot of the same kinds of things as, as Florence Nightingale. Um, but the big difference with her was that Florence Nightingale was basically a posh, rich, English, white woman. Mm -hmm. um, and Mary Seacole was from the Caribbean and black and very poor, and she got herself to the Crimean War um, and went and did all that work just off her own back. And so I think if historically we are right in the middle of the 19th century, so do you know when the Crimean War was? Um, it was like 1836 to 1853. Exactly, perfectly right. Not. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I know what it was. Really? Um, I think it was um, 1856. <laughs> Uh, we're obviously looking this up, listeners. Um, yeah, I'm going for 1856 no, to 1859. Oh, look. Oh, nearly. 1853 to 1856. Yeah, I just got the beginning and the wrong way around. <laughs> Quite crucial. Um, but in the um, middle of the 19th century, a very important person was he middle or early i think he was let's i'm now looking up in a book glory porter blood and guts a short history of medicine because as i hopefully have mentioned i know very little about the history of medicine and i'm <laughs> learning a lot <laughs> doing this uh, same uh, 1822 to 1895 was the life of louis pasteur now, what do you know about Louis Pasteur? Oh, yeah, I learnt this at school. Oh, yeah. That he invented, like, making food healthier. Mm -hmm. And you had to, like, put labels on the food to mm -hmm. say what the ingredients were and sell by date and stuff. So um, people could know. I think um, that would have been longer term, but he... Um, well, basically worked out what germs were. Him and a <laughs> German guy called Koch, I think he was called. You have to say, make sure I have to say that carefully. Koch. Uh, there you go, Koch. Yeah. Um, and so, but if you look at it, how you spell his name, does that not look familiar? Pastor, have you never seen anything that's written like that? Oh, did he um, invent milk? He invented pasteurised milk, which is when I do my joke. So what's this? Listeners, for your benefit, this is a visual joke. I am 
waving a bottle of milk in front of Otto's face. So what's this? Pasteurized milk. Pasteurized milk. That's really not funny. It's hilarious. No, it's not. It's particularly unfunny, actually, because this is some milk from our friends, the Barkers, and this is famously unpasteurized <laughs> milk. <laughs> um, so yes, so basically, pasteurized milk is uh, the idea that if you heat the milk, you kill the germs, so it's not so dangerous. That's the. Um... <laughs> Udderly fresh raw milk, North Hill Farm Dairy, Winslow, Buckinghamshire. If you are local and you want to try some. Ah, yes. So this is our first advertising spot. Udderly <laughs> <laughs> <Utterly> fresh <laughs> raw milk uh, from North Hill it's Farm nice. Dairy. It's very, very nice. Um, we might have to knock the barkers up for a bit of sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, because he came from uh, the, an area where they made lots of beer and wine, and one of the things he noticed was that um, you people could... would drink some beer and then go uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> fall over. <laughs> um, but no, but you, if you heated beer or wine, it wouldn't um, turn into alcohol because yeast turns into alcohol. So he worked out that the, the heat was what was killing the yeast. Um, and the yeast is a tiny little... Yeah, I know what yeast is. Yeah. I don't really... I know that I put it in my bread, but I don't know quite how it works. But it's we a... did yeast at school the other day. Oh, yeah. What do you know about yeast, then? Um, I know it's a fungus. Uh-huh. It's small and seed-shaped. Yeah. And I drowned it. You drowned it? Yeah, I drowned some yeast. It's a bit harsh. Whatever did to you? <laughs> um, so yeah, um, and but he so he worked out that it, it was. Was that you the other day who didn't put yeast in the bread maker, and then the bread was all. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeast is alive, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and so and so are germs. We also fed the yeast while it was drowning. Right. <laughs> so so it, it ate some sugar while it was drowning. Yeah. <laughs> Drowned. Still drowned. <laughs> drowned. <laughs> Didn't drown hungry, which was <laughs> good news for the years. Um, yes, yeah, so um, we put it in a test tube with some water and some sugar. So I get what he. So he worked all of this out that yeast was a living thing, like germs are living things. You heat them, and you can there, you know, and that's how you can you can kill germs. On this basis, he developed his acclaimed method of eliminating microbes from milk pasteurisation. Heating to a prescribed temperature to kill them ensured that milk would cease to be a source of tuberculosis and gastro something gastroenteric ailments. Hmm, maybe we should talk about Can vaccines. Vaccines? Because, I th- well, the, the, the guy who first um, developed vaccines was called... Vaccinal. No, Edward Jenner. Oh. <laughs> um, and what, don't you know a bit about vaccines? I know that it works how they inject a bit of rabies yep. into you. Mm-hmm. So then enough so it's easy to fight off for your like, white blood cells. Yep. So then they can be like, oh, I reckon I could handle proper rabies now. Yep. So then they can fight off actual rabies easier yeah but I think so Edward Jenner um, 
basically worked it out uh, that some sort of, I think, well, that was more inoculation against smallpox. And he worked out that cowpox uh, was quite similar to smallpox. Yeah, so if you gave some people cowpox, which, yeah, they made them sneeze a bit and not feel great, but they got, it's better than getting smallpox mm-hmm. and going, Bleh. By the way, mm-hmm. if you didn't know, rabies isn't the only thing <laughs> that you get vaccinated for. You get vaccinated for a lot of things. Yes. I was just using rabies as an example. Very good. Um, and do you know uh, what anthrax is? No. No. No, I've never heard of it. Anthrax is um, a death metal group. Do you want to hear a bit of anthrax? No. Hello. Okay. I don't like this. (laughs) Enough of that. Uh, But anthrax is also a very dangerous disease, and uh, Louis Pasteur developed a vaccine for anthrax because it's something you can also catch from cows. Um, and in fact, that's why vaccines are called vaccines because. What has mad cow disease got to do with cows? What has mad cow disease got to do with cows? And um, we're going off on a bit of a non-historical. Ta- well, I don't know, it's great. Mad cow disease. Um, oh is no, mad cow disease was like nineteen ninety. It comes from cows, so if you eat um, meat from an infected cow, um, it will give you mad cow disease. What does mad cow disease do? Um, I think it gives you an inflammation of the brain. Well, you used to go mad. You know. um, yeah. the, yes. Well, no, you, it, well, I mean, the reason I know a bit about it is because that's what they thought that your sister had for a bit when she was had all her brain problems. Um, uh, what, what does what is an inflammation of the brain? Oh, inflammation is swelling. Swelling. So your your brain swells; it kills you. Oh. Yeah. Not very nice. Is there a cure? Um, I don't think so, as far as I know. Is there a treatment? I don't know. Okay. No. But I think it's well, and this is it, it, this is historical. Um, a lot of diseases, when they go from one species to another, yeah. get far worse. They become far more dangerous. So that's why, like, bird flu became quite a big problem. Exactly, yeah. And AIDS, the, the HIV comes from monkeys originally. Um, and that's why, also why rabies is really bad. Yeah. And also, and that's really one of the... the and malaria. Yeah. And uh, the bubonic plague. Where does that come from? Um, well, it comes from fleas that are carried on rats. And yes. But I think it's actually one of the, the the history of disease. You know, disease did not exist in the same way that it does millions of years ago. It was, you know, disease is actually a product of civilization. Mm-hmm. So when we all started living in cities, particularly with and with animals, so we started getting animal diseases, which were very bad for us. And then because we all lived in uh, close proximity in cities, we started giving um, all these diseases to each other. Something like Ebola. 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 has probably existed in parts of the jungles in Africa for you know, a long time. But it's now that we're travelling around the world, it's becoming much more of a problem. You know, we're all flying around and travelling. Thank mm-hmm. you.
just Otto here now. Um, I'm going to tell you what I know about penicillin. Um, because me and Dad went to a penicillin museum in Oxford a while ago. And we found out some stuff about penicillin, evidently. Um, otherwise there wouldn't be much point. It was discovered by Alexander Fleming in 1928. That's what it says in the book. Um, so he was away on holiday and he left a... What's the name of the dish? It's Petri dish out on his desk with some germs in it. And while he was away, some mould, well, some fungus spores flew in through the window and some mould landed on the Petri dish. And he, and then he came back and noticed the mould on the Petri dish and then he noticed that where the mould was there, um, there was no germs. So... Um, he figured out that that meant that this mould did um, kill germs. So then he dubbed the substance penicillin. Um, but he had no idea how to actually, like, harness penicillin. Um, so it kind of just stayed there on his Petri dish. And then quite a few years later, I'm not quite sure what his, what his name was, um, doesn't say in the book I'm reading from, um, and he says about Alexander Fleming, yeah. Um, but he figured out how to use it by the Second World War, I think. So then he was able to help lots of wounded soldiers. Oh, I think, oh, it does say his name here. It's signed two people, Howard Florey and Ernst Chain. It says that he turned Fleming's penicillin into a medicine that would save thousands of lives. Um, and they made it in large quantities and it helped the save the lives of countless soldiers injured in D-Day landings of 1944 in World War Two, And then that is still used a lot today. But they're discovering problems with it. That it's actually creating super germs, they call it. So they have the antibiotics, which kill off the germs. But then if you have too much of the antibiotics... Uh, of the same kind of antibiotic, like penicillin, if you have lots of penicillin, then the germs start to become kind of more immune to the penicillin and it makes the germs stronger so they can fight off the penicillin. So that's pretty much all I know about penicillin. I could probably go back to Dad now. That was brilliant, Ox. And that brings me to my little theory about how a lot of this sort of scientific uh, medical advance happens. That basically, you know, you generally have somebody who, um, some, some sort of 
Because yeah. it's your theory now. Am I allowed to fade you out? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you can work out how to do it, you're very welcome to fade me out. Um, yeah, but I think that, you know, so it's a sort of combination of um, scientists um, and then, well, you know, sort of geniuses um, and then some sort of technological progress and then science. So your story about Fleming is a really good example of it. So you had somebody like, you had Fleming who made the initial discovery. Somebody you didn't mention was Dorothy Hodgkin. She was vital because she was the one who actually... Yeah, I I didn't know too much about Dorothy Hodgkin. I knew who she was, but I didn't know too much about her effects on penicillin. I, I, I know something that she was like involved in x-rays but I didn't know too much about yeah. her so I didn't want to like get facts wrong. Ah very good but yeah so she invented something called the x-ray crystallography mm-hmm. um, and that allowed her to actually analyse and see what penicillin was and then those scientists you mentioned Chain and somebody else? Flory. Flory. Oh Howard Flory. Sorry yes and then Howard Flory and Ernst Chain were yeah. the guys who actually developed it. Um, so I think that you know that basically happens with quite a lot of things where someone says, "I reckon that there are these little thingies floating around that cause diseases," and then technology comes in and somebody invents, for example, a microscope so that they can see the little thingies. Yeah. And then science works out what the little thingies are and what they do and what can be done about them. And then medical scientists yeah. work out how to stop these little thingies giving people diseases. Exactly. Yes, and, and also things happening at the same time. For example, the anaesthetics and antiseptics. Um, you know what those are? Um, anaesthetics. Yes, I do. So quite a lot of confusing words like anaesthetic. I know anaesthetic. It's like... A general anaesthetic mm-hmm. puts you to sleep while yeah. you have an operation. Yeah. Because you don't want to really feel someone cutting you open. No. Although, yeah. I have heard stories of people who've woken up during surgery. <laughs> yeah. And it said that, it, that they didn't really feel anything. Oh, right. Yes, because actually you don't have nerve endings inside your body. No. So once they've got into you... Yeah, you wouldn't want to be awake when they actually... Cut you open. Cut. The ones they're playing around inside, it doesn't work. Yes, and antiseptics, what are antiseptics? It doesn't that like you can rub it yeah. on a like graze yeah. or a cut. Yeah, and it kills germs. Yes. Yeah. Um so those two things happen. But at, you can only do that after you've picked out like any stones or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um so and the, the developments of anaesthetics and antiseptics were happened at more or less the same time. So that meant surgery could take a big stride forward. Um because, you know, basically it meant that you could have anaesthetics so that your patient wasn't screaming in agony um, during your, your, the operation. Yeah, because that, that would kind of put... Put, the, put you off a bit, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the doctor. Ah! Um, and uh, then also because of uh, antiseptics, it meant that after the operation there was a chance that they might recover because it wasn't all going to get infected. Medical 
digital technology um, is advancing so quickly. So, I mean, if we were to do this podcast in another 10 years' time, yeah, loads more things would have been there, there might be a cure, an actual cure for the common cold. Yeah, or for cancer or mm. all that kind of thing. Um, or, you know, I mean, don't go into too much detail about Ava Jane, but um, what she had when she had her heart operations mm-hmm. with these heart-lung machines was incredible. So they've actually got machines that replicate lungs, lungs and your heart. So it pumps, it can pump, keep your blood pumping. And then a machine that's giving, that takes the blood and puts oxygen in it like your lungs do. So that means that they can do heart operations that last Wait, a lot longer. Ava Jane's heart is her heart. Yeah. Yes. But while but they were operating there's, on there's it. There's a bit in her heart. Yes. Which is like mechanical. Uh, not mechanical, it's... No, but... Yeah, it, so they, they put extra bits in her heart because she was missing all her valves and yeah. all that kind so of they, stuff. Yeah, so they put... Cow and tent. Tent? <laughs> Gore-Tex is the material they make tents out of. That means that they can take a lot longer on a That's heart operation. before. Really feel really weird. Like, if they've seen her children, like, one would be a cow from <laughs> 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 I don't think it quite works like that. I'm no scientist, but no. <laughs> I don't think so. Cool, so shall we uh, wrap it up there? Okay. Um, so I think the plan is, I don't know quite how we're going to do the podcasts um, over the summer, um, but we're going to try and do a couple of on-the-road podcasts while we're in France. So maybe we'll release a couple of those, and then we'll release this one about medicine. France-related. 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 Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Well, um, thank you very much, and it's a good night from me. And good night from me.